0: November of 1963, the longest running science fiction series first aired and took the world by storm. Since that date, this television program has continued in multiple television series, motion pictures, cartoons, novels, audio plays, and most importantly, comic books. The goal of this podcast is to review these comics from various publishers from around the world. Welcome to Doctor Who. How Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken and Patrick, special guest star. Episode number 144, recorded November 3rd, 2013.
1: Okay, so before we get started, just to avoid some confusion, that was the April Fool's Joke Doctor Who opening that we just listened to. This is not a Doctor Who podcast, but mainly a Star Trek podcast. Indeed, so, but we kind of liked it and, you know, we're kind of lazy, so
0: we wanted to play it again.
1: And it's very fitting for these next four episodes, because we're going to be visiting the land of the Doctor. So today we have a special guest star, because we're doing a special four-part series of the Star Trek Doctor Who crossover.
0: Right. So, love Doctor Who, love Star Trek, how could it be better? To mix it And, exactly, and we get multiple generations involved, too.
1: Eventually. Not
0: Not to do a spoiler...
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Patrick, uh, we brought you because you, as maybe even more so than we are, you're a fan of both Star Trek and Doctor Who.
2: Is that right? Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say more so. I don't do a podcast, but
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes, yes, a big, big fan of both.
1: And do you have a, a preference of one over the other, or do you like them equally? Oh, over over the years, it's
2: it's it's so hard to choose one over the other. But uh, yeah, they're they've both been a, a part of my life for quite a while. Cool. You got to ask uh, the question: Who's your favorite doctor? Ooh, well, yeah, oh dear, that would probably have to be one of my personal favorites. Is Doc Number Seven, Sylvester Coy. Ah, yes. Yeah. yeah, so it's like that. Uh, he was very almost clownish on the outside, but uh, very calculating uh, underneath. Oh. Cool.
1: Yes. Hmm. Then out of the new ones, do you have a favorite? That would have to be Matt Smith,
2: who is rapidly becoming probably you know very close to my favorite.
1: <laughs> right. Very good. Very good. What about you, Ken? Who's your favorite classic and your favorite of the, the new ones?
0: Well, my favorite new one, I... I think is David Tennant Uh, Love Matt Smith But I really like David Tennant also I think he's really good And as far as traditional I would say that um, I'm
2: going with Tom Baker (laughs) Yeah, I've got to say here that Tom Baker is is definitely up there for me uh, Given that he was the one That I saw probably the most uh, At first Right, and it's kind of like football teams or sports teams.
0: who did you a lot of people really love the first team that they were exposed to a lot right and John he, pertree, for me, he's the first doctor I ever saw when I was a kid, John pertree and i I love John pertree, but gotta go
1: with Tom Baker oh
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah he 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 definitely made his mark
1: yeah so where do you where do you take the cut off as far as classic doctors versus Revamp Doctors. Is nine the cutoff? Or would you count eight? Because I really like eight. Oh right.
0: Well uh, he's kind of in hand. between, isn't he? Yeah. He's kind of floating in the middle. Unfortunately, odd man out.
1: I don't know. I really like that movie, even though a lot of Doctor Who purists don't because of the whole half human and kissing his companion, which which I think find kinda of funny that people get upset about that. But I really liked that movie. I thought it was good, and
2: uh, hmm, yeah, no, I gotta, I gotta agree with you there. Yeah,
1: despite yeah, his he, reputation, you, you agree with me that he's good, or you agree with me that, that, that you don't like the kissing and the and the half human thing. <laughs> well,
2: all right, I'm not as uh, uh, anal about it as some fans uh, apparently are, but <laughs> he just called you anal.
1: Hey, I'm saying I like him despite all the. No, I said some fans. So
0: no. <laughs> oh, okay.
1: No, I I really like him, and you know, I I love that he's been. You know, he only had one screen outing, but he's had tons of other stories. Which, you know, as you know, we're doing a podcast based on expanded universe. You know, I really get into expanded universe stuff. So the novels, the radio play, he's mm-hmm. probably my favorite. And I would count him as a classic doctor. And then of the new ones. Matt Smith would probably be my favorite. Yeah. Cool. So. Well, it, it
0: definitely he was an excellent actor. I think his... because uh, I've heard some of the audiobooks also. So I do have more exposure to him than maybe some people. But, yeah. A very good interpretation of the Doctor.
1: And out of all the Doctors, he's the only one that was also in an Alien movie, so, you know, that has to count for something. Which one? <laughs> he was in Alien 3. He played... uh Guy like the crazy crew member that releases the alien and pretty much causes the whole the whole second act of the movie or the oh, second half of the movie thanks a lot <laughs>
2: <laughs> he can play crazy good I'll give him that that's for sure
1: yeah I think he's good I like him yeah. a lot alright well I guess we should get to what we came here for and that is the Star Trek next generation Doctor Who crossover any objections
0: right. not at all not
1: for me alright I'll just jump into the synopsis of the first book, and then we can get to talking about this landmark event. Oh, before we get started, I do want to mention one thing, and it's kind of sad. Mm. I watched mm. a interview with Matt Smith the other day, and the interviewee said, you know, what do you think about the crossover between Doctor Who and Star Trek? Matt Smith knew nothing about it. He's like, there's going to be a crossover? And then she's like, uh, <laughs> there... <laughs> There already was, you know, and he's like, "Oh, I, uh, well, if 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 J. J Abrams wants me to be in the new one, I'll do it," you know. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, "That yes. was really deflating," because you're like, "I've already read you in six issues; you were there." <laughs> but in real life, uh, he doesn't even know what's going on.
0: Did the interviewer uh, actually say it was in a comic book?
1: She she tried, but then he just kept talking over her and oh. about how much he loves J.J. J. Abrams, and I was just like. I was like, okay, well, I guess he's, you know, mm. he's doing his job, and his job is not to do comic books, but, uh, I don't know. I mean, what, what, am I? It, do you guys feel the same way I do? Which was kind of like, yeah, that kind of stinks that he didn't even know about it. But,
2: yeah, uh, Well, it sounds, yeah, it would have been a, a missed opportunity. He sounds like he's enthusiastic about crossing over.
0: Yeah, but he's probably not a comic book fan. Mm. I
2: guess, well, even actor. with the...
0: Uh, he doesn't live this stuff as much as we do, so. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it's a job,
2: I'm sure, to some degree to him, mostly, but. Hmm, true, but he, he seemed enthusiastic about the possibility of starring in a, in a crossover movie. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding? A big movie like that? No. <laughs> big hey, budget, big, uh, big visibility. Hey, I, here's an idea. He can play Gary Seven in the next Star Trek movie. I
0: can see it. Yeah, he'd have to get rid of
2: the accent but yeah. Or given that the new that one. character Yeah, given that that character was inspired by
1: Doctor Who after all
0: I believe so too oh, I that, agree with oh, that
1: That would be really good <laughs> 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 Alright Okay, well let's get into the, the issue um, This doesn't have a title aside from Assimilation Squared Did you guys see any other titles on any of these? No Not that I can see, no I think it's Assimilation Squared Simulation Square, number one. Uh, this came out May of 2012. Uh, the writing staff is Scott and David Tipton with Tony Lee. Uh, the art is J.K. Woodward. L- lettering is Sean Lee and Robbie Robbins. And edited by Denton J. Tipton. And May
2: uh, I... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no. I
1: mentioned something really quick here. Um...
2: One of the authors, uh, Tony Lee, I've actually met in person.
1: So. Oh, really? Yeah,
2: he comes to the Doctor Who convention here in Chicago uh, every year.
1: Ah, so he's a. Uh, does he write other Doctor Who stuff?
2: He used to. He 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 stopped recently,
1: but uh, yeah, he's written quite a few. The novels or or the, episodes? Uh, no, just the uh, comics. Oh, okay. For Doctor Who magazine or for the IDW?
2: For IDW.
1: Oh, Okay. Cool. Yeah, he's a great
2: guy, too.
1: Very friendly. You got a lot of... Did you get an autograph?
2: Uh, Yes, I believe I did, yes. And not to mention that, but he always comes drinking with us afterwards.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, very cool.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you just, snappy, snappy dresser, too.
1: You're just name-dropping now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> nah, I hardly even think of him as an author anymore. He's more like just another convention goer.
0: Oh, that's oh awesome. cool. So he's a fan, too. Oh,
1: yeah, big time. That would explain why, in this book especially, the Doctor is spot on. I mean, I think all his, his uh, dialogue is straight from Matt Smith's mouth. Yeah, yeah, I got to agree
0: with you there. Yeah. Well, stuff. we'll talk about this later, but I think there's a lot of dialogue in here that it's very much many of the characters. Data, Worf,
1: others. Right, right. But this one's mostly Doctor, which we'll get to here in a second. Yeah, <laughs> This one. Sorry about that. One. <laughs> All right, so uh, back to the synopsis. There are a ton of covers for this story, so uh, my cover synopsis might be as long as the real book. But uh, there's cover A, which is a painting by J.K. Woodward. Uh, this shows the heads of Picard and the 11th Doctor above white, what might be a time tunnel. And then below the tunnel, we see the Enterprise-D chasing behind the TARDIS. Cover B, more comic book-styled cover. Uh, This shows again the, the heads of Picard and the Doctor, with smaller depictions of Rory, Amy, Data, and Riker below them. And then above, we see two Borg and a Cyberman. Cover RIA is a pull-out spread two pages it shows in the background we can see the TARDIS the inside of the TARDIS and then in front of the TARDIS we see like little slivers of pictures that show Data, Rory, Riker, Dr. Picard and Amy. Cover R.I.B. is it just shows the doctor sitting on the uh, captain's chair on the Enterprise D and then we see Rory and Amy behind him. Then there is a RE Forbidden Planet exclusive Which is a black and white version of cover B And then there's an RE Hastings Exclusive which is a photo cover Of the transporter room And we see Rory Amy, Dr. Riker And Picard and they all seem to be Like photoshopped into it Alright So that said let's get to the story So the story starts off on Delta 4 The uh, follically challenged inhabitants of the planet are enjoying a beautiful day in the park near a huge, gleaming city. This ideal day is interrupted when Cybermen and Borg start descending from the sky, and they start to attack the people and all the buildings. The Prime Minister of the planet makes her way to the Federation building within the capital. She asks, where is Starfleet in this moment of crisis? The Admiral there informs her that the two ships that are in orbit have engaged the Borg, but they are no match and are quickly destroyed. They fear that any task force that Starfleet can send their way will arrive too late. She gives the order to evacuate the planet. Scans show that the beings attacking the people are not only Borg, but also another unknown cyborg alien, which, again, we all know as the Cybermen. Soon... The building is overrun by the two invading forces. The Prime Minister and a few others are able to make their way to a runabout, and they escape the dying planet. Meanwhile, in the past, we joined the Doctor, Amy Pond, and Rory in ancient Egypt. The trio are involved in a grand chariot race through the streets of a city. Rory has a few missteps, but it seems that he remembers the basics of chariot driving just fine from his time while he waited for Amy. And that was a uh, previous storyline with, uh, with Rory and Amy. Uh, the doctor causes an avalanche in the nearby market to stop their pursuers. Now they are able to make their way to the Pharaoh's palace at a more reasonable pace. Their goal is to sneak in quietly. But Rory knocks over a vase... And all hopes for a silent entry are lost. The guards that come in to investigate get tangled into a curtain, thanks to the doctor. And the trio are off racing throughout the palace. Eventually, they make their way to the throne room. Rory, wearing the guise of a centurion, tricks the guards into leaving and they walk in unhindered. Once in the pharaoh's presence, the doctor introduces himself as the doctor. And the pharaoh promptly asks, Doctor who? The pharaoh's aide seems to be very surprised to see a Time Lord, and even mutters to himself, But they're all dead, thus giving away himself that he may be more than just human. The doctor gives the aide the opportunity to give up quietly. The aide declines, and his human features melt away into that of some sort of insectoid face. As the alien attacks, the doctor opens up a package with a green crystal inside. The crystal starts to emit light and the alien is sucked into the crystal. The doctor explains that this is actually a prison transport of some sort and that it must have crashed on Earth and at that moment releasing the prisoner. The trio then depart from the very confused Pharaoh with the crystal in hand. Soon they board the TARDIS and the doctor looks into the crystal. He is shocked by what he sees. He sees a vision of the Cybermen and another cybernetic race, which, again, we know them as the Borg. The TARDIS then lurches and materializes in what seems to be 1940s Earth. The doctor assures the ponds that there is indeed something strange about this place, despite it looking all normal. Amy asks how he knows, and he tells her, why don't they ask the android at the end of the bar? They look up and and they see Data chatting away with Riker and Crusher. To be continued. A good setup
0: for yep. this multi-parter. And yes, I do agree a lot of it is very Doctor Who heavy, but I do like how they started out on Delta Four.
2: Yeah, I have to agree. They give us uh, quite a bit at, at the beginning here. Uh, certain Certainly draws you in.
1: Yeah, I love the Delta Four thing because you don't We don't see a lot of the Deltans after Star Trek motion Motion picture. picture. Yeah. So it was kind of cool to see them, and then the whole cyborg-cyberman attack was really good, I thought. And then you just jump straight into the middle of a Doctor Who episode, which I thought was, you know, it was very abrupt, but that's kind of the pacing of the new Doctor Who, so.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, it uh, it distinctly reminds me of of one of the new episodes. (laughs) Almost not enough time to take everything in. Right.
0: Right. Yeah, the pacing of the comic in general is like that. I mean, they get right into it. One page you see uh blissful delta 4 and then the next page is like total explosion and, you know, <laughs> raining uh, Cybermen raining from the skies and Borg.
1: Yeah, so yeah. what did you think about them falling from the sky like that? That's that's not their normal MO for either one, is it? <laughs> well, it's well, I not the Borg. A... Yeah.
2: That could be a uh, cyber technology.
1: That's a good point. Well, in the new shows, you always know, see them just kind of, you know, the Doctor Who calls it transmatting, right? So they just basically appear, right? Kind of like the transporter. So I've never, I don't remember ever seeing Daleks just descending from the heavens. Or I mean, that, mm. or may not, uh, or Cybermen. That That's more of a Dalek thing where you see them kind of falling from the sky on their little... Well,
2: I'm sorry. If you take a good look at that picture where they're beaming down, it does, as I say, remind me of a transporter beam, you know, with with the large beams of light coming down,
1: you know. Uh, So you think that's just like them being beamed down?
2: Yeah, or Or possibly transmitted.
0: Mm. And in the end, it's just a great visual. It's a awesome visual. Because you can even see the outline of a Borg cube and some of the Cybermen ships. So it really is meant just to be a visual thing that doesn't really... I don't think it's really meant to be taken as gospel reality. Yeah, literal. Yeah.
1: Anyways, I love that. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well,
0: I'm just saying that there's a guy pointing up, and you can even see... In the daytime sky, you can see Borg cubes and and other
1: ships. And it's like, well, you're not going to be able to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, if they're in orbit, you can. I mean, the Borg cube is pretty big. Okay. Maybe. Hmm. Anyway, very cool. Very cool. It's a very cool visual. Oh, yes. Yeah. I forgave it. Very cool.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, form over function, Donovan. This this is art.
1: (laughs) One thing I don't like about these kind of stories is when you have one group of people that don't know anything about something that we all know very – the idea of a Cyberman and idea of a Borg – you know, because we are exposed to both, we know them both very well. So it's hard to talk about the Deltons' point of view that it's the Borg and these weird cybernetic creatures, and not just call them Cybermen. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, it's it.
2: Although, fortunately, in this case, they I think they chose two, two elements that worked very well together. You know, being the Cybermen and the Borg. So, uh, even if you're unfamiliar with one or the other, I think you. There, there is a point of reference there,
1: you know. right? Yeah, they're basically the same characters.
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, you're right. Only you don't actually see the the humans or the humanoids beneath the Cybermen outer skin.
1: Not normally, but sometimes you get to see their brains pulsating and yeah. And some normal. of the some of the well, older no- ones, we got to see their chins jutting out, right? Some of some of the classic oh yes,
2: some in of the, the classic 80s. Cybermen in the eighties. Uh, yes. That that was very much a feature. So, it's changed over time. And not to skip too far ahead, but in a later issue, uh, there is a hint of human hands, I think, in some of the Cybermen. Hmm.
1: Just like the new RoboCop. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Anyways, but I like how, you know, in this one, they don't know who the Cybermen are, and then the Doctor doesn't know who the Borg are, but then, in the next issue... The doctor, because he's all-knowing, gets to clue all parties involved: who's who and what's what, and, and we don't have we don't have to worry about one party not knowing what the other one is for too long. Yeah, but and I'll have something
0: to say about that when we get there.
1: Okay. Very good. All right. So uh, overall, first thing, what do y'all think about the art? I oh, uh, I like it. it it's it's
0: kind of it's a little on the artsy fartsy side, but it's very pleasing to the eye. And ships look pretty good, and I I like it. It's, it's not it's a little arty, so it's not absolutely reality, but I, I like the arty aspects
2: of it. Yeah, I I, I gotta agree there pretty much. Uh, this you know I don't I believe they call it a watercolor style or something of that mm-hmm. nature. Yeah, that's, I've never been the biggest fan of it, but and particularly in certain cases like uh, there was an, the adaptation of the Wrath of Khan here. Uh, recently, and it had a very similar style, and I wasn't I wasn't too drawn to it, just because it was so, as Ken said, artsy for artsy, But uh, whereas I tend to prefer, a, you know, a more realistic style. But yeah, this this was very quality stuff.
1: Uh, and I'm going to disagree with you that this is this is great. <laughs> <laughs> I am a big fan of the watercolor style, and and I think that it does it. Uh, oftentimes, people look very realistic and then you're right sometimes they you know if they're in the background they do get washed out a little bit but I you know compared to a normal comic book that you're going to buy off the rack a lot of times I think these people look more like the actors they're supposed to be than what you're going to get in you know just a normal traditional comic book page
2: oh yeah actually I'll agree with you there yeah the, uh, the resemblance to the to the actors is very good I thought that's, that's the one area where I thought this, this really pulled off well
0: yeah, so, but in a non-watercolor traditional style where the artists actually take the time to look like the original actors and have some concern for accuracy, maybe over artistic style, it's non-watercolor styles that I think are much more realistic.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I just like the whole painting. I, I like the watercolor style. I like the airbrush style. I mean, you, Oh, I, yeah, yeah. To me, I think you get much more detail when... <clears throat> Much more photorealistic. Maybe that's what I'm trying to think of
0: when really? you want With it the to be watercolor
1: style. When hmm. they want it to be. I mean, like <laughs> like when you see Matt Smith's face when he's yelling Geronimo and things like that. I think spot on. Looks just like a cell from uh, the show. Huh. But again, that's cool. just my opinion. Yeah, and that's the great thing about <laughs> it is, especially
0: in the artwork. I mean, it's a lot of personal preferences and likes and dislikes. Anyway you look at it, this is quality stuff. I like the IDW stuff, and they, they took some time on the, on this series, I think. Quite nice. Accolades. Right. Yeah,
2: I agree. They, they, they put some real effort into this, and the, and the detail is, is very, very beautiful.
1: Right. Right. And then the alien at the end, you know, it's the only real alien we get to see. I thought he looked kind of cool, the insectoid-faced pharaoh's aide. Right. Yes. Yeah, that was impressive. So, anyways, I liked it. I, I really liked the artwork. So,
2: and it, oh, one more thing. If, if maybe it's just me, but the uh, the Dilton leader, uh, if you take a look at her, uh, particularly uh, in the scene where they where she's getting a briefing, there, right. um, very much reminds me, especially in the bottom panel,
0: mm-hmm. of Sigour-
2: a, a certain actress.
1: Yes,
0: <laughs> Sigourney Weaver. Right. Yes, indeed. I agree. Uh,
1: which one? When she's there with the Andorian.
0: Yes. Yes. Exactly.
1: Sigourney and Weaver.
0: Wow. Sigourney Weaver. And then uh, uh, I did not notice that when I was just reading through, but now that you bring it up, I definitely see it. Uh, also in the middle of the page, a little further up. Right.
1: Huh. I don't see it. No? Well, <laughs> well, uh, an under, and that, underwear that, a- and very, very sharp angles on her nose and cheeks. So in that regards, yeah. I see it. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's mainly what I'm thinking of,
2: and the fact that she's uh, bald in this case uh, (laughs) reminds me of Weaver in Alien Three, of
1: course. Alien Three, right? Right. Where she was with Paul (sighs) McGann. Yes, it all comes around, doesn't it?
2: All comes full circle.
1: Yeah, Uh, Uh, that's funny. The Andorian to me looks just like uh, Jeffrey Combs from Star Trek Enterprise.
2: Oh yeah, I can see a little bit of that. Yeah. And the, uh, the Starfleet officer on the top who's sitting down and pointing at the screen, almost like Data.
1: <laughs> uh, on what's- That's true. Yeah, strange. Oh, That's yeah, true. right. Upper yeah, he right. I like Data. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Who, who doesn't like Data? Everybody loves Data. Everybody
0: does. And if they ever do a reboot of Next Gen and they actually want somebody to look like Data. I think they should use the guy that played Loki in the Avengers and Thor.
1: Oh, yeah. I can see, I can see him as
0: yeah. data. I forgot Tom Hiddleston. Name, Tom there, there Hiddleston. Exactly. Exactly. He, he he would make a great data. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Good point. That's a digression. Uh, yes. one th- go ahead. No, go ahead. One thing I kind of really liked, or I I did really like, not just kind of, when they first have the Doctor and Amy and Rory, they have little blue boxes inserted that kind of introduce the characters with little tag terms, like when Amy's there, Amelia, Amy Pond, the girl who waited, uh, the Doctor, Wanderer, Time Traveler, Madman in a Box, and then Rory, uh, it says something. The main thing is, (laughs) I really kind of like that. I'm not I'm not going to quote it all, but I'm just right. saying those little boxes there with the short little references to them, which completely come back to the original Doctor episodes and, and just pop culture that calls them things, like Madman with a box, uh, I thought that was really cool. I like that.
1: Yeah, I wonder why they don't do that when they introduce the rest of the next-gen staff in issue two. Good question. Hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: Good question, yeah, but, but I, would I, be I do keeping like with that boxes. Cell.
0: Yes, it would.
3: Well, did, yeah, did did, like they, the, did they yeah. think
0: do they think uh because this is well now i mean do they think the next gen crew is more known than the doctor i don't think so but
1: hmm. well it's an american comic so maybe
0: yeah but yeah that's
2: a good one I yeah
1: mean, but really
0: how much is that going to help you amy pond the girl who waited like, uh, i mean if you weren't <laughs> familiar with the episodes uh, okay she waited for what i mean uh,
3: yeah. More
0: Ro- context here, Rory's <laughs> an occasional Roman sh- soldier? Huh? Anyway. Wow.
2: Well, at least it explains why I can uh, drive a chariot, I suppose. Exactly. Yes, it does. <laughs>
1: that, that's the one part of that, that, that season. Was that the first Matt Smith season? Yeah. Yes. No, yeah, it's, the second one.
2: No, it was the finale
1: of, of, that,
2: yeah. of the first, first season.
1: I hate, I do not like that part. I do not like that Rory lived 2,000 years yeah. waiting. Oh. Really? Yeah. You- oh. I don't know, they make such a big deal about Captain Jack being a couple hundred years old, and then oh, well, we can one-up you. Rory's lived 2,000 years. Top it. You know, and <laughs> <laughs> he's not all cynical and crazy, kind of like Captain Jack is for for being alive and undead for uh, that long. W-
0: not <clears throat> Agreed. And the thing is, if you really live for 2,000 years, I mean, Rory seemed a little different after that experience, but not much. He seemed... Pretty much like he was before he went on his 2,000-year waiting period. Would you really yeah. be the same after 2,000 years?
2: I don't well, think so. There was a lot of timey-wiminess, for lack of a better word than that. <laughs> <sense>. <laughs> <laughs> his, his memory got messed with. Let's,
1: let's just leave it at that. Oh, okay. Right, because basically, doesn't doesn't Amy just basically recreate the whole universe as, as much as her memory can...
2: Yeah, so she she kind of reboots his memory too, presumably. You know. Oh god.
1: <laughs> yeah, again, I, I, I love Doctor Who and you know, I love the idea of a big finale type thing, but man, sometimes those season finales on Doctor Who really kinda of take me out of it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Especially yeah. when Davies was running things with Tenet. True. Some of those build ups were great and then the payoff was like, Huh? Okay. That's the best you can come up with. Okay.
2: Yeah, well, no, uh, no. yeah. oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, uh, it's just uh, now that Moffat's taken over. I think the finales have have improved. Yes, but yeah, they're, they they still do throw quite a bit into the mix. You know, yeah. everything but the kitchen sink.
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah. Now I loved the uh, the season finale, and it's I think it's the same one where the Doctor keeps jumping through time to, you know. You know just a couple of minutes or so where you'd show up with a mop a in, a, in a fez and then <laughs> then in a minute we'll find out why he's wearing that. I thought that was brilliant i, I yeah. love that kind of stuff right um, and, which and i, don't, I, think, I uh, oh go ahead I think that's
0: the first time we see him in a fez i think but.
1: on screen yes
0: oh on yeah.
2: screen okay. on screen Oh that's <laughs> not exactly true now see then I'm a seventh doctor fan, so he wears a fez at one point oh does he Yes,
1: yes. In the episode Silver Nemesis, which has
2: has the Cybermen in it.
1: (laughs) Cool. (laughs) And he wears a fez. That's awesome. (laughs) My first exposure to the Doctor wearing a fez was the Eighth Doctor. There's a comic book where he walks around with a fez. (sighs) So when he was wearing it and kept saying fezes are cool, I'm like, they stole that from the Eighth Doctor. Which I know is pretty ridiculous because a fez is pretty... (laughs) You can't really steal wearing a fez, but uh, I just... (laughs) <laughs> I just thought that was funny. But the doctor now,
0: does like hats, doesn't he?
1: Always. He's oh, got yeah. the
0: Stetson at one point. In this comic, he's got some kind of Pharaoh's hat or some kind of Egyptian hat on when we yeah, first at the see
1: beginning. him. Beginning, right. right? Oh yeah. He likes hats. Now, the speaking of fez, the the first doctor had a weird little hat. Was that that's kind of fez like, wasn't it? Oh yeah, I think they
2: call it a, a captain a little, or something. Little
1: tassel yeah. off
0: the top, but, but it was it shorter. Con- it was shorter than a fez, right?
2: Yeah, it was a little more
1: squat. I think.
2: Yeah. Right.
1: It's a hat I've never seen anybody else wear except for the doctor, the first doctor. <laughs>
2: yeah. Good point.
1: Anyways, all right, we're kind of off topic. A bit. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, anyways, Patrick, any other comments about story or this this one particular issue?
2: Uh... Not that I can think of. Uh, as I said before, you know, it's very fast paced, you know, but it, it keeps you keeps you uh, keeps you going, and uh, you know, guess you interested in how is he, how the doctor may have ended up in this
0: strange universe. I completely agree,
2: and especially,
0: you know, they're traveling, they're doing the Tardis thing at one minute, just traveling, mind their own business, and then boom, they magically end up on the Enterprise holodeck, which is like, wow. And then the Doctor doesn't even know they're on a deck. At least not at first. But then right. he realizes it later. It's like, how did he get there? Now, now, I'm all for moving a story along. And definitely that leap where, boom, they're on the deck. That definitely moved things forward nicely. It's just... I don't know. Well,
1: I, and the Doctor did have some sort of premonition right at the same time. He was looking at the right. crystal, the TARDIS hiccups, and he sees a vision of the cyborg in the and the uh, Cybermen in that crystal. So I kind of bought that somehow that crystal is the catalyst that brings them over into the uh, Star Trek universe. Uh, yeah.
2: well, he, well, here's a question. Where did the crystal even come from and how did the doctor come by it? You
1: know? They found it on Earth. He he kind of says it really quick that, that they found it on Earth and that the crystal um, was on it. So it's an interdimensional prison cell. Uh, with oh, an inter- I'm sorry. interstellar right. delivery yeah. system, all at once.
2: <laughs> <So> it just <sighs> shows you how how this how uh, <laughs> fast paced this story
1: goes. You know? It is. So I pictured it kind of like the uh, you know the crystal in uh, Superman just sucks them into the Phantom Zone.
0: And... <sighs> yeah. <sighs> yeah. Right. The one dimensional or two dimensional, so you don't have a third, so it's really flat. Um, you know, this is all well and lovely. And I'm going with the story, but I don't care whether he's got a green crystal or not. <laughs> it's like, what? It, okay, great. Let's just go with it.
3: <laughs> I mean, yeah. in, in,
0: unless there's there the some ultimate power or something which knows they've got to you know fight this new menace and and they're going to bring Doctor together with the TNG team. It's like, uh this doesn't make a lot of sense. But that's fine. Let's move along.
1: Now it's I have I haven't finished all six issues because I didn't want to spoil future episodes. But my, I'm more curious on how the Cybermen got hooked up with the the, the Borg. How did yeah. they get over? Well, and that one I think they
0: talk more about.
1: Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I haven't. I didn't want to spoil the the show, so I I did not read ahead.
0: Yeah. Well. Yeah. Same here. <laughs> yeah. And actually, they do it several times, but we'll we'll find out. We'll find out later.
1: Okay. Good. All right, that was
0: my last comment for part one. Very good. My last comment is that I really love the last page. It's a full-page panel. I love the artwork. I mean, Riker standing there, you know, smiling. It's so Riker. And then, you know, Data's saying something in total earnest, but somehow Riker's finding something funny in what he's saying. It's like, that's
2: great. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That
1: that, that, uh, photo is suitable for framing right there. Yeah. Right. And then, again, the doctor's comment, something's unusual. Why don't we just ask that android over there in the pin tri- in pinstripe suit? Just something <laughs> <laughs> so nonchalant. And you're like, oh, oh, cool. We'll go ask the android. uh uh-huh. Love it. <laughs> he might
2: know. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, uh, seeing, seeing Riker in this uh, holodeck environment makes me wonder why they never did that on the show.
1: I think he would be a great fit for the Dixon Hill world. That's right. He never he he's always on the bridge during these scenes.
2: Yeah.
1: Good point. Cuz I think it was always Bricard's
0: thing.
2: Yeah.
0: Right. And sometime and then well Dr. Crusher or was that just in the comic? Anyway, uh No, Dr. Crusher
2: was in, in an episode. Yeah.
0: Right. So, um that was cool, but good point. He doesn't take just everybody on his little Dixon Hill adventures.
1: Right. And Who's missing from this scene right now? Picard. So I'll have a comment about that here in in a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, you would
0: think that Picard would have wanted to go on the inaugural tryout of this new program, but
1: right. Hmm.
0: He's a giving man. He shares.
1: (laughs) Maybe he wants to go by himself, and you're like, "All right, y'all do it first. Get out so that you don't have to tag along when I go." Exactly. (laughs) All right. Shall we move to the next one? Yes, issue two? Let's, yeah. Excellent.
0: So, issue number two, assume it's Assimilation Squared Part Two, since it doesn't really say. Published date is June 2012. Writers, matter of fact, everybody's the same. So, I'm not going to repeat what Donovan said. The regular cover is made up of two halves that present the Borg on the left and the Cybermen on the right. They're going for a, a two halves of the same bad nickel as uh, three Borg and three Cybermen make up the mirror images of each other. The title Assimilation Squared is on the bottom right. Cover B shows Picard dressed as Dixon Hill shaking hands with the doctor in a 1930s San Francisco bar. R.I.A. cover presents photos of Geordi, Amy, Dr. Crusher, Troy, the doctor, and Worf in vertical slats right next to each other. The R.I.B. cover shows Riker with phaser-drawn Picard and Data in the TARDIS control room, which I thought was kind of interesting. The issue starts with Geordi completing a diagnostic on Data's positronic brain. Everything checks out fine. Geordi asks Data if he is considering upgrading components of his 30-year-old body. The technological improvements, such as isolinear chips, are now available. Data says he has considered it, but thinks that if he embarked on that path, he would eventually become a totally different entity, which he does not want. When Data asks Geordi about his visor enhancement, Geordi admits, despite his improved abilities, he would prefer to have normal eyes. Geordi says he understands Data's point. In Picard's ready room, Riker is informing the captain they are entering orbit around Naya 7. Riker will go down with Data and Worf to inspect the unique mining facilities and give encouragement to the team from Starfleet Corps of Engineers. Their mining facility is quite an engineering achievement and they are very overworked and stressed. Riker says they will handle it well. In the transporter room, Deanna briefs the away team on the native people called Dai. They are amphibious humanoids that come off at first friendly, but down deep they are very private and prefer to limit their interactions with outworlders. Riker refers to them as fish people, to which Worf says they sound delicious. After beam down they meet Captain Ochoa on a metal platform attached to a rocky shore. This is the entrance to the underwater mining facility. After descending they meet Silos, a representative of the Dai people who welcomes the landing party graciously but as soon as he can plunges back into the ocean. As they descend into the mine, Captain Ochoa explains the planet is a treasure trove of trace elements like dilithium, bilitrium, and kelbonite. The difficulty is minding them on a water world. Riker points out that there are transporter and particle beam tech that could make the mining considerably easier, but the captain says the Dai are very ecologically minded and only permit the more labor-intensive methods they are currently employing. They move on to the eastern tunnel which is the lowest depths yet mined the captain explains they use force fields and anti-grav techniques to maintain their water seals which are under incredible pressure as a safety measure they have implemented a good old-fashioned system of interlocking watertight compartments to minimize the damage caused by a breach should one take place suddenly the transparent aluminum door of a watertight seal gives way and violently fills the room that they are in with water Worf and Data are able to get everyone to safety. Picard sends medical and engineering teams down immediately. Later Crusher reports eight are dead and 22 injured. The Dai did not lift a finger to aid in the rescue effort which angers Picard at first and continues to offend Geordi. Geordi reports that safety protocols have been sacrificed to allow Captain Ocho to maintain specific quotas. Picard explains that the Federation is putting people at such risk to provide needed raw materials to rebuild the fleet. They must replace their losses at 359 and prepare for the next inevitable Borg attack. Back on the ship, Riker, Data, and Crusher are informed that the conditions at the mine are under control for now and the Lexington is on its way with a task force to aid Captain Ocho and his team. To give the three a much needed diversion, Picard invites them to take part in a Dixon Hill adventure in the just upgraded holodeck. They say they would love to and proceed to change their clothes. They enter the world of San Francisco in the nineteen thirties and sally forth in search of dinner. As they walk towards satisfying hunger with holodeck photon food, the strange sound of warp 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 can be heard not far away. After they order drinks in a local bar, they hear an enthusiastic voice, ecstatic over Data's presence. This strange holodeck character recognizes him as an android. They think the doctor is a holodeck malfunction. The doctor realizes this is not San Francisco, but actually some sort of simulation. It's all too perfect, too clean, not messy enough to be a real place. When Riker orders the holodeck simulation program to end, all six of them and a strange blue box remain. Confused, Riker suggests that they need to see the Captain. Worf joins them with a the security detail and escorts the Doctor and his companions to Captain Picard. The Doctor recognizes Worf as a Klingon. Hmm. They enter a conference room and meet the man himself. Though cordial, Picard is also stern, and asks them to explain who they are and how did they come aboard his ship. The Doctor introduces himself, Amy and Rory. The Doctor and Picard shake hands, and they get down to talking about how the Doctor and his friends should not be where they are. The Doctor asks if any other unexplained visitors have popped by lately. Before Picard can fully answer, the bridge breaks in with news that they have received a priority one distress call. It's Delta IV's command and control center, reporting the attack and the fact that they have already lost the Lassiter. Picard orders best speed to Delta IV, which is 37 minutes away at warp 9. Picard asks the doctor if he has anything to do with this attack. His appearance coincides with the attack. The Doctor says no, and he has never heard of Delta Four, which in itself is strange, since he knows all planets in all star systems. They are all on the bridge when they arrive at Delta IV, and seeing a huge gathering of ships, dozens of Borg cubes and spheres, and another type unfamiliar to Picard, the Doctor recognizes them all too well, and suggests to Picard that they really should not be here. Picard agrees to be continued.
2: Hmm. Getting uh hoping mistakes here.
0: Oh, big time. Yeah, one board cube is bad enough <laughs> to take out a task force and there's uh a whole bunch of them here.
3: Oh yeah.
2: You thought it was uh, uh bad enough when uh, those cubes were attacking Voyager in that Voyager episode, but uh <laughs> this is uh about 10 times that.
1: Yep. And look at the planet. There's nothing left of Delta 4 it's all computerized it looks like there's no no land no water
2: oh yes it's already been fully assimilated they, it looks like they work very fast
1: hmm. now correct me if i'm wrong but the the cybermen i know that there's been different incarnations of the cybermen but they they only really assimilate people right or I mean, I guess they can assimilate dogs and stuff. I think they've they've had some (laughs) cyber dogs and cyber gnats and things like that, but, I mean, they don't really take over the whole planet, right, like the Borg do.
2: Well, they do invade
1: and conquer, of course, but, yeah, I think uh, they don't seem to
2: have the, what are they, the nanoprobes that the Borg have, anything like that, that would assimilate technology as well.
1: Right. So, yeah, you may be right about that. So, anyways, I, I really like team-up of the Borg and Cybermen.
2: Yeah. Well, they're, they're,
0: as you guys mentioned earlier, I mean, they really are like... (laughs)
1: They're very similar threats, with some differences. Right. So in Tomb of the Cybermen, which is the second Doctor story, they say the Cybermen are created by humans, right? In the future? Or Uh, am I misremembering?
2: No, um... The uh, in the original story, the 10th planet, the Cybermen were from the sister planet of Earth, uh, Mondas.
1: Which is like on the always on the opposite side of the sun, and that's why we've never seen it. Yeah, that's why it always stays hidden, supposedly. Right. Wow, but, that's cool. And they're, they are I human, or they're, or they're not humans? Right. Well, they're very
2: humanoid-like, but yeah, I don't believe they're supposed to be human. Oh, uh, okay, okay. But uh, I've always
0: loved that idea, by the way. The idea that there's another
2: Earth... On the other side of the sun. That is a very cool idea. Yeah, that uh, the concept That's seems to get used a bit in science fiction. You know. Exactly. It's a, yeah, it's a bit of a what if. You
0: know. Right. Which, of course, now is a bit, you know, we can't really use it anymore since we've got enough, enough probes that probably would have noticed it that have gone beyond yeah. Earth. But well, it's, it's cloaked, a cool idea. I suppose.
2: <laughs> Are you sure it isn't cloaked?
1: Oh, no.
0: <laughs> good point.
1: Or just slightly out of phase with with our reality.
0: So that's where the mm-hmm. alien grays come from, perhaps.
1: Mm. makes more sense. More sense than another universe or another right. solar Dimension. system. Solar system. There you go. Yeah. So why did the 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 Doctor
0: why did Doctor recognize Worf as a Klingon?
1: He doesn't know. Because he even says, "How should I know? that? Why would I know that?" Yeah, no, he seems he? to be. He seems to be spontaneously gaining new knowledge about this universe. Right. Yeah, he said he said he says I had never even heard the word Klingon before. So he says that right after he says something about Worf being a Klingon. Oh,
0: really? I don't remember that. Okay. Cool.
1: I'll tell you the page number, but there's no page numbers, but it's when they're being marched to the uh, Sure. Right. See the captain.
0: Yeah, so again that's handy that the doctor is figuring all this stuff out about this new dimension he's never been in before. But
1: um kind of wondering how he <laughs> how is he getting the info mm-hmm. right well, well we'll get a little bit of that explanation next issue when we see that this may not be his first visit to the Star Trek universe
0: Mm. at least in this oh,
1: form
2: with this particular face
1: right so the very end of this book not to spoil anything but the end of the book shows Tom Baker doctor uh, with Captain Kirk being attacked by a classic Cyberman so the uh it's not much of a of, of a spoiler that we maybe get a flashback of some sort next issue. And I think that's great.
0: Oh, yeah. Tom Baker, Spock, Kirk. Of course, the whole idea that it would have to be Tom Baker, an older version of the Doctor, that would have to be paired up with older versions of the Star Trek universe is fascinating because the Doctor doesn't have any temporal limitations. But it's kind of interesting that they paired them up like that.
2: Yeah. Uh, I'm almost kind of surprised... Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm surprised they didn't use maybe uh, Petra Troughton, for example,
1: mm-hmm. given
2: that he was, he was the Doctor during the run of the original Star Trek series. Right, but, 1966.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, I never did the math. I was wondering if, if who which one was the Doctor.
2: So it was Troughton? Yeah. Who, by the way, is
1: a
0: big favorite of mine. Oh, yeah, he's great, but he's not nearly as famous as Tom Baker.
2: And that's a good
1: point. Yeah, that's probably why they used him,
2: just for the right. uh, recognition
1: and this is going to be a tangent, but but you guys know that this story that we're reading now is not the first time that that the Doctor and Star Trek almost met up, right?
0: Oh,
1: that I don't know what you're
0: talking about. So no, when, I
1: don't. When uh, Russell T Davies finally got to go ahead to start doing Doctor Who again, um, and they you know started the Ninth Doctor, he wanted to do a Doctor Who Star Trek Enterprise crossover because at the time Star Trek Enterprise was still on the air and the BBC was like yeah sure let's do it and then it, it was Paramount who said no makes the idea yeah because they were like uh-huh. ah, Doctor Who's not that famous and huh? we don't want to you know no confuse it. yes
0: how could, how could they possibly say that
1: <sighs> it was uh, I don't know and then I, I they- think and then they get cancelled like the next year And uh, Doctor Who's still on <laughs> Well yeah I mean <laughs> well, And gaining
0: in popularity
2: Right yeah.
0: Well to be fair when,
2: when Davies first brought the show back uh, Even the BBC Were on the bubble as to whether It would remain on the air During that first season Oh really Yeah the, you know The first season was commissioned and everything But beyond that they weren't entirely sure I
1: think It was an unknown commodity. I mean, the movie, the Paul McGann movie, did okay in the UK, but I think even it didn't do what they wanted it to do. No. Right. And they still did enough that they wanted to do the TV show, but uh, because they had co-produced it with Fox and Universal, that Fox and Universal didn't want to do it. So that's kind of why no TV show ever came out of that. Hmm. Hmm. Which is stupid, because, I mean... I don't understand why Fox wouldn't just sell the rights back to BBC if they really wanted to make it. Exactly.
0: I mean, did did they really think there was some value in holding on to the ability to do a Doctor Who property? Uh, and if hmm. they did, why didn't they
2: go ahead with the TV series? Hmm. Yeah, or with a movie as was projected at one point, you know, presumably uh, even with uh, Spielberg, who is a big fan. Oh. And,
1: and uh, I think, I even read that um, you know, they were asking American actors to be in the Doctor Who movie and like I think Tom Hanks was asked and uh, Steve, Steve Martin was asked I mean a lot of people that are famous actors or famous comedic actors were asked to potentially be in an American Doctor Who movie which I think oh. that's that's what Fox and Universal wanted to do an Amer- but
0: not an American Doctor
1: yeah, I think they were gonna do an American doctor. Uh, sacrilege. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm surprised, laughs> that's
0: sacrilege.
1: Anyway. Yeah. Well you gotta think. That's probably what they were thinking when they when they took that on back in nineteen ninety six, that you know, if this if this T V movie doesn't do great, then we still have the rights to maybe make an American version that will bring in an American audience. Oh. Okay. I guess that makes more sense, but but, anyways, I just think that an idea of the ninth doctor on the bridge with uh Captain Archer would have been fantastic yeah <laughs> that would
0: have been too bad they didn't go for it yeah
2: yeah they they do have a similar vibe, don't they
0: right I would say huge <laughs> overlap in uh fan base right if we are any decent sampling
2: <laughs> yeah seems I think like we, we are more more and more so every every year.
1: Yeah. So if they ever do an, another sequel to this eight-issue eight, eight issue series, I hope that they do a Archer, Ninth Doctor story.
3: <laughs> <Wow>.
1: <laughs> That's my hope, because those, to me, I think would be a good pairing. But I think Tom Baker, Kirk is a good pairing, and Matt Smith and Picard are, are good as well. Yeah.
0: Hmm.
1: Well. But and anyway.
0: The thing, have they ever done an Enterprise comic?
1: Nope, never Hmm. It's the only one that's never gotten a comic book Well,
0: Well, this will be a first then
1: (laughs) It hasn't happened, that's just me dreaming (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: and I think a lot of it gets back to perceived popularity and things like that Because whether right or wrong, I don't think Enterprise was perceived as a uh, popular success, unfortunately
2: Or at least not as much as the other ones yeah, regardless of what you might think of the merits of the show, I think it, it never
1: really did get a fair shake by
2: the right. uh, by the
1: studio. Right. It still has to be more popular than Gary Seven, and Gary Seven has had his own mini So <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> I hear what you're saying, but I also know that it can't be entirely true because they've uh, they've done lesser known mini series in the Star Trek universe
0: yeah but i don't necessarily think um assignment earth was viewed as maybe a failure and i think unfortunately and this is not a fair shake but i think enterprise was probably viewed as unfairly as a bit of a failure because it never brought in the kind of numbers that they wanted but mm. anyway that's possible
1: so what did y'all think about the the fish people and the whole mining scenes uh, Oh,
2: uh, yeah. The uh, I like the idea here of, of this base being established with these people who aren't exactly on the friendliest of terms with Starfleet, you know. Right. Uh, and the idea that that has been explored, of course, in the various uh, series before, which is Starfleet being driven to perhaps more extreme measures because of threats. Yeah. Whether it be the Dominion or the Borg. Yeah, this was very reminiscent of the situation in uh, Star Trek: Insurrection. Actually. Right, exactly.
1: Right, I, I liked it, and I, and I liked the fish people. You know, basically saying, you know, it's not in our it's not in our agreement to help you when you're dying. You know, kind of thing. I thought that was good, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering how this is going to fit into the overall storyline because at least the doctor little side story in the first issue tied in because it may have given him the crystal that then gave him the vision and then sent him over to the Star Trek universe. But I'm kind of struggling to see where the fish people storyline is going to tie into the the you board. Will. Oh, well, okay. Mm-hmm. You will.
0: Because I, I, not... I have read everything, but it was like... It was when it first came out.
1: Ah, uh, okay. Uh,
0: gotcha.
1: Alright. Well, then, I will hold off on that comment.
0: Yeah, because otherwise it seems like... Okay, kind of interesting Underwater mining uh, Have I don't remember seeing that before That sounds mm-hmm. like an interesting new uh, Setting Interesting set of challenges But they did spend a lot of time on this And if it didn't really have anything to do with uh, <laughs> With the rest of the narrative It's kind of like, uh They may have spent too much time on it but.
1: Uh, That's what I was thinking Only yeah. because I've only read the first like four issues So
0: Right hmm.
1: Alright, okay and does it explain why she has those weird goggles? This uh, There's yeah. one random crew member that has
2: <laughs> really yeah, It looks like welding kn- goggles or something, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, <laughs> But yeah. they're actually attached to her eyeballs there's, not, they're not, there's no strap so it's just like suction cupped right to her face Hmm
2: Exactly. Some sort of uh, scientific device perhaps I mean. <laughs> maybe, yeah, it's, scan- device. maybe it's a scanning device
1: Yeah, Maybe it's a new device. version of the visor
2: <sighs>
0: uh, Maybe but uh, one thing I find interesting is that Worf apparently is interested in it also, since he is uh, staring down at the girl in the background of one of the panels.
1: Oh, really? Uh, let me try to find that. Oh. Well, they're kind of looking at each other.
0: Yes, they are. So either Worf is interested in those goggles, or he's interested in what's going on under the goggles. I'm not quite sure. But they do seem to be looking, staring at each other rather intently.
1: Mm -mm. They might just be chatting, and we just don't get their balloons.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or perhaps,
2: or if it's
1: his (laughs) usual suspicious self.
0: (laughs) Perhaps, perhaps. Uh, And one thing I do like, there are multiple times in these issues where they have extra little things going on in the panels, like that's an example. Mm-hmm. Or they're in the middle of a of, of narrative going on, and then they'll throw a little something in there, which is humorous and is very in keeping with the characters. Like there's a spot where they're on the bridge, and then the, the doctor's going on and on and on about, uh, about the bridge, nice use of space, nice lines, blah, blah, blah. And then Wharf just says something like, uh, Please, can you stop talking?
2: <laughs> and,
0: or, okay, he says, Stop talking and it's like that is so wharf. I like that yeah actually yeah.
2: I'm kind of surprised Picard himself uh, isn't a little more irritated by the doctor <laughs> <laughs> you know he, he Picard usually doesn't take so well to such things he, you know think of uh, when Q's appearances right, you know, right on the Enterprise
0: yeah he doesn't like when people just start popping up in his ship No. Yeah. Here. In fact, I'm surprised he doesn't
2: suspect the Doctor being cute. Oh,
0: doesn't even mention it. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, but showing up with it, with two other people, uh, that is not his typical M.O., but good point. <laughs> mm, yes. Although he did travel with Vosh for a while. So. Uh, yes, yes. Well, wouldn't you?
1: Oh, no Vosh is. <laughs> is gorgeous. That oh, actress is great. You have a soft spot for Vosh.
0: Oh, I think she's great.
1: Anyway, so I got a question about um, the holodeck Don't you think they spend (laughs) a little too much time talking about the enhancements where it now has a smell and uh, um, air conditioning, I don't know because they talk about how cold it is there and and didn't always have a smell and didn't always completely recreate wherever they were going so I don't understand why that's new
2: yeah, they, they seem to make a big deal of, about uh, the sensory input in, in Encounter at Farpoint, I think, don't
1: they? Right. Yeah, because there, yeah. there's that scene where they're in the snow and stuff like that. Or maybe that's not Encounter at Farpoint.
2: But it's yeah, that was an early episode. You know? Yeah,
1: so I mean, I didn't understand why they were talking about, oh, is that the ocean I smell? And I'm like, of course it is. It, it Did it not always do that? I just always assumed it did. Maybe it does it better now.
0: <laughs> New and improved.
1: Hmm. So maybe they're just throwing that in there so that they can justify why the Doctor was so tricked in the first issue.
2: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think so. Maybe.
1: Yeah. Maybe. Anyways.
2: when not you think the TARDIS could uh, detect where it's landed, you know?
0: Well, yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, doesn't the Doctor have an intergalactic GPS or something? It's like, can't you hmm. tell
2: the difference between
0: somewhere near Delta Four and Earth? I mean...
1: Hmm. But remember, they're in the wrong dimension, so it might have been confused.
0: Well, shouldn't it?
1: Okay. Well.
0: But <laughs> but at least at least it should be saying, "Hey, if this was Earth, I should know it because i have been here a lot." And
1: uh... <laughs> but anyway, yeah, good point.
2: Well, perhaps Delta Four in the Doctor Who universe is actually a different planet. Uh, maybe uh, maybe a Cyberman planet. Huh?
0: No, oh, they've already been taken over. Perhaps
1: is it? Are you trying to imply that that you know something we don't?
3: <laughs>
2: no,
1: more just extrapolating
2: from previous uh, Who episodes. Idle conjecture. Right.
0: Anyways. Yeah, there's one more thing I want to just mention. I, I really also like when the Doctor is first like checking Data out up close, and he's like grabbing his head and stuff, and. Like moving around, and then all data says in his very polite little way is, "Please let go of my head."
3: <laughs> another, yeah, that's, a ni- that's a great another nice,
0: another nice little subtle little bit of business, bit of humor that is so right for data, and so right for the doctor. Yes, exactly. Yes, Get, I, th-
2: think of his David Tennant's fascination with the clockwork uh, androids.
1: Right. right. Yeah, when the doctor was doing that with the head, the only thing I could kept the what I kept thinking of is Times Arrow, the the two parter where technically his head is, you know, two three hundred years older than the rest of his body. Right. So I was thinking that maybe he was gonna say something like that, like you know.
0: Oh my lord!
1: Your head does not have (laughs) the same Tekion signature as the rest of your body, or something like that. But they never did. So no. That would have been been
0: that would have been an incredibly. (laughs) <laughs> inside <That's right>. baseball. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Kind of reference.
1: I don't know. I thought that would be a way to link Data and um, uh, Rory since they both kind of got displaced in time and had to relive hundreds, thousands, in Rory's case, oh. of years outside of time in order to get back to their normal timeline. Right.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah. they're kind of kindred spirits, those two. Except Data <laughs> was just in a rock somewhere.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm well, worried was you just, come... in, just in a cave somewhere. <laughs> That's right. Well, he was out living life, wasn't he? <laughs>
2: wasn't he? Was he? Didn't he become uh, a
1: centurion or something? Yeah, well, he was
2: always in the vicinity of the Pandorica,
1: so I couldn't have right. gone very far. Right? Uh, Anyways.
0: I'm happy that they kept best speed to Delta 4 at warp 9. Hmm. So I Would, just... What, rather than
2: going beyond? Yes.
0: I got you. I mean, oh, it just, just more just, just keeping in line with the continuity of the uh, franchise.
2: Yeah. And not have, say, the doctor suggest an engine improvement or something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Turn the Enterprise into a giant TARDIS. Yeah. You know, it's it's really right. instantly,
0: instantly materialized. Right? Exactly. You know, you guys would save a lot of time if you just got a TARDIS, a really big one. Well, actually, it is really big on the inside. Hmm. <laughs>
1: Well, speaking of continuity, there is one huge continuity error in this yes. in this series. And, and if
0: anybody would find it, it would be you.
1: What? Well, it's the Borg. These okay. are First Contact versions of the Borg and not Season 7, which I'm assuming that's where this is supposed to fall, versions of the Borg. Uh, okay. Wow.
0: And, and how do you tell the difference? Because they got a hose coming out of a different place on their head? What?
1: I mean, you can look at the Borg and tell which ones are from the movie and which ones are from the original series.
2: Well, you know, I always kind of put that down to just make up limitations. Sure,
1: you know? sure. Kind of <laughs>
2: like, like with the Klingons, you know.
1: More money. Yeah. No, I, I forgive it. I'm, I'm not saying, I, I'm, I'm not trying to be a stickler. I'm just saying that, you know, they do go through the effort to make the, you know, Cybermen look like, well, that's next issue, so never mind. But, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I'm just being nitpicky.
0: <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs>
1: I like, this that's version okay. of the, I like this version of the Borg better than the than the TV version. Right. So I'm not going to... Yeah, they do look pretty slick.
2: If you can call Borg slick. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Alright, my last comment is when it does show the Enterprise going into warp, that uh, the top section is just like, what, huge panel? That's a really cool ship. A uh, really cool shot. Shot.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'll agree there. As you say, it looks very sort of almost photorealistic, as much as you can with watercolor anyway.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> not, to, not
2: to damn it with faint
1: praise, but, you know. No, it looks good. I, I really like it. I, I think that that shot's cool with the with whatever that light is that's coming out of the front of the ship. But, right, uh, yeah. It's a cool picture.
2: You know, I bet you that... and. Here's, here's my little nitpickers moment uh, but uh, that beam coming out of the front could very well be the deflector beam from the deflector dish uh-huh. probing Keep out ahead and keeping things out of the way clear. yeah there you go which we've never really seen depicted very much but
0: right yeah except for the Borg attack or attack on the Borg I don't remember seeing it show much mm-hmm. at all
1: yeah visually yeah. right it's like it's well, you a, get the impression invisible that it's most beam most of the time. Yeah, most of the time it's invisible. Yeah. Maybe. Looks cool. I like it. Yeah. That's a picture that would would be cool as a screensaver.
0: Yeah, screensaver.
1: Wallpaper. There you go. Poster on my wall. I'll take any of it. <sighs> <laughs> and I think the doctor's face is on quite a few of these panels while he's on the bridge and they're all doing their techno babble and he's just kind of like Cocked his head a little bit, like he's trying to eavesdrop. is is pretty good. Just, yeah, just heard, the doctor's face in the background. Very classic uh, Mad Smith mannerisms there.
0: Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I've given all my comments.
1: Patrick, anything else?
0: Uh not that I can recall. I think we had
2: everything.
1: All right. Well, then, any closing things? What did you think about guest starring? Is is it everything you thought it would be? <laughs>
2: oh, and more, and more.
1: Uh, but yes, it's, I always enjoy uh,
2: just getting together with fans in any format, whether it's at a convention uh, or just at an informal get-together just to watch, watch an episode or a movie. It's great fun, and it's a way to uh, really connect with people who you wouldn't otherwise connect
1: with. Cool. Now, speaking of that, do you go to the screenings of released Blu-rays now for... Um, Next Gen, they've been doing like a one-day-only screening of a couple episodes from that season. Do you go to those? or?
2: Oh, yeah, whenever whenever possible. Uh, they, they're very limited, of course, as you say, but uh, yeah, you know, I was able to go to the first one with uh, that had the two first-season episodes right Next mm-hmm. Gen. Yeah. Right. That was very nice. And yeah, the theater was surprisingly well-filled for it, so that's good to see.
1: Yeah, I got to go to both. I got to go to two of them. Uh, the first First one and then the third one. I missed the second one, but uh, I was surprised that the third season one, which was the best of both worlds, uh, two parter. There was more people at that screening than there was when they did the first season special. So I don't know if maybe oh. around here more people knew about it, or they just really liked Best of Both Worlds and wanted to see the, you know, the, you know, they, they build it as being combined into one story, but really all they did is take out the two B continued part.
0: <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> well, what else did yeah. you want them to do? Yeah, I don't know, but the way they get re-edited for a feature length, you know, they, they really built it up, but they did something to, to combine these two stories, and really all they took out was the little dun-dun-dun, yeah. dun-dun-dun. Oh, darn. They took out the music? <laughs> the very last <laughs> That's the right part. That's yeah. one of the best parts. I agree. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, that made it into Family Guy and everything, <laughs> which is an indication of the popularity. Yeah, that and was... Uh... Maybe,
2: yeah. That's probably why there were more attendees, I would imagine.
0: Uh, it is, it yeah, is well, a bit, that, bit better known. I think a lot of people would agree that is one of the best next-gen stories they ever made.
1: Oh, yeah. It's yeah. my favorite, but... It, it ruined my summer, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> As you're wondering, how the,
2: will they get out of this one?
1: Uh, no, I knew they weren't. I knew that Picard wasn't coming back.
2: I was like, oh, he's gone. Yeah, and of yeah. course... Uh, uh, Stewart's contract was up in the air at the time and so who knew. Well, I did didn't you know about know that, that
1: kind of stuff. I, I was a little kid, so <laughs> all I knew was that they had written him off and Riker was gonna be the captain next year and my summer was ruined. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but your fall was ecstatic when he came back.
1: Right, yeah.
0: Riker, you're the man.
1: So anyways, so the reason why I brought it up is that they're doing the Day of the Doctor, which is coming out in a couple of weeks from now. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, yes. Of the recording of this,
1: right? Right. So they looks like they're doing two. One is a simulcast at very limited cities on Saturday, and then the next Monday they're doing it larger through that Fathom Events thing. So, are you guys yeah. gonna go to either one of those? Yeah, I think I'm gonna have to attend that Fathom Events uh, screening. Yeah, well I, I think I'll, I mean it's it's the Monday after. It'll be on TV, so I'll probably uh. have already seen it. But I, yeah, same here. <laughs> I wouldn't mind seeing it on a on a bigger screen in 3D and, and all that other good stuff. Oh, it's in 3D? Yeah, they filmed it in 3D. Yeah. They want to make I'm it sure an that. event. Oh, yeah. I guess so.
0: Well, I guess I'll see how much I like the episode. <laughs> <laughs> I expect to be liking it quite a bit, but we'll see.
1: I don't hmm. know. The, the whole 8, 8.5 Doctor could really get me going the wrong way.
2: Oh. Uh, Set off
3: your uh, nitpicker alarms. So.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I. Okay. So obviously, so the eight point five Doctor is the one that made the decision to destroy all the Time Lords. Right. That's yeah. what this he did, is supposed
1: to be. He did something, and it was he made some, yeah, critical well, choice that.
0: Well, yeah. So he was responsible for killing off his race. So okay. So that's probably pretty much what this is. Oh, I mean, more more details than that, but... Which
2: definitely. is interesting. I'm surprised they didn't have Davies come back and contribute to that, given that he came up with the idea. You
1: know? Right. I don't so know. We'll I don't much. know. I just wish that they would have asked McGann to play the Eighth Doctor again. He's still... it's no, oh, still yeah. young. He could have looked just like... He, he would have been perfect for it. And
2: there was an interview with him where he was uh, apparently pretty disappointed that they didn't
1: ask him. Right. Yeah. Oh well. I mean, John Hurt's a very famous actor and you ask anybody on the street they're probably more likely to know John Hurt than Paul McGann, but still
0: But that is interesting I look forward to seeing why they decided to go with an 8.5 I mean, yes, that gave the opportunity to be able to bring in Hurt but, I mean McGann would have been the more logical doctor to do that
1: Right yeah, because since 2005, when the show started back up, that's the way I had envisioned it. That, right. That the Paul McGann Doctor did did something to destroy right. Gallifrey well, and the Daleks and all that other good stuff in the Time War. Right.
2: Yeah, hey, I can only think there must have been some sort of behind-the-scenes reason where they couldn't get him or something like that.
1: Well, th- that
2: or
0: else, At least I that, would hope so. That or else Moffat just has some extra little twists that this whole idea of another Doctor being in the mix does make the story better. Although I think it's rather awkward.
1: Right. Yeah, maybe a bit convoluted. Yeah. Well what what's funny is that, you know, during the time from the Eighth Doctor to the Ninth Doctor, the true Ninth Doctor, there was a couple of maybe false starts for Ninth Doctor. There was a web cartoon with Richard E. Gant as mm-hmm. a ninth doctor. Which right. I really liked. I really liked that version yeah. of the Doctor. Yeah. Um,
3: you
0: turned me out of that, that was pretty cool.
1: And, you know, when that came out, the BBC said, BBC said, this is the Ninth Doctor. And they even came out with a, a couple of Expanded Universe stuff with that Doctor. Um, and then, you know, because that was popular, they, I think they kind of felt like they had the fan base to do a TV show, and that's where, you know, Russell T. Davies took on the, making a true Ninth Doctor. But also during that little, little area, there was a, a made-for-TV charity special with... Uh, What's his name? Rowan Atkinson. Rowan Atkinson. Ninth do- ninth oh, yeah, doctor. I remember. Yep. And also, curse so, of fatal death. Right. Yes, exactly. Which is great. Which also has Richard E. Gantt as one of the doctors and Hugh Grant. So it's kind of funny that Richard E. Grant Gant keeps coming back so much. But anyways, in the books, the Eighth Doctor books, um, once the Ninth Doctor was really coming, the Eighth Doctor books kind of tried to retcon everything by saying that the Doctor could, you know, he was on Gallifrey, he could see that there was this big... Disturbance in the future or whatever, and he could actually see multiple versions of his ninth reincarnation. So mm-hmm. they've kind of already laid the work in some of the that, that stuff that you know there could have been alternate ninth doctors or maybe an eight point five doctor, whatever you want to call it. But uh,
2: yeah, and given the show's history, I can easily buy the possibility. You know, think of the Valyard, for example. You know,
1: right? Which which I I was kind of hoping would have been. John Hurt. When I first saw him in the Name of the Doctor, I was like, "Oh, that's the the yeah. But Yeah. Uh, then now they're just calling him Doctor Eight Point Five. <laughs> <laughs> doctor Eight Point Five. Anyways, all right. Well, I guess we need to close up because I actually have to to run off. Me too. So yep. uh, well, thanks, Patrick, for joining us. Uh, hopefully, uh, we're as entertaining in real life as as we are recorded. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. No doubt, no doubt. Thank you, thank you for
0: having me on. Yeah, anytime. Thank you you very much for joining.
1: Anytime you want to come, just let us know. You have our number now. (laughs) Yes, indeed. (laughs) All right, and then uh, next week we're going to be back. We'll do issues three and four of this miniseries, and we should also have another guest mystery guest. So that'll be fun. Yes. And we'll get to see Tom Baker. Not really see him because he won't be here, but we'll at least get to read about his exploits. Exactly, <clears throat> and Kirk and Spock's. Yeah, I'm just more focused about Tom back here. <laughs>
2: I've, I've read ahead, and
1: it is a very nice slice of the nostalgia. There, I
2: enjoyed yes. it.
1: Yes. Yep. Yeah, that's as far as I went. I did go ahead and read that too. I, I liked it. All right. Well, until then, I uh, hope everybody enjoyed the show, and we'll be back next week. Thanks for joining us, everybody. On the review.
0: Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Second Name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.
3: Let's get the hell out of here.